Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there, folks. Oliver here this week. Uh, we have with us David Zipper from the German Marshall Fund. He is an excellent interview about the mobility data specification. Sounds boring? Totally not at all. It's all about the future building blocks of the operating systems that our cities will be built on and the fight that's going on at the moment between the cities that will be enforcing that and the companies that are going to be operating those services. Totally, totally worth your time. Uh, in the meantime, wanted to give a shout out, Micromobility Europe is coming up October 1st in Berlin. Be sure to head to micromobility.io to get your tickets. Uh, we're going to have speakers there from Jumpbird, Limevoy, uh, Tia. It's going to be an awesome, awesome gathering with a lot of amazing people coming from all over Europe um, and further afield. I'll be up from New Zealand, looking forward to it. Um, yeah, just uh, the, there's an initial agenda that's been now published on the website. So go and check that out and see if you can work out how to get yourself along. Um, just as a heads up, this interview, unfortunately we lost the, the, the local audio on David's side uh, at about 30 minutes in, but we reverted to our backup recording. Unfortunately, the quality of the recording is not quite as good as we had hoped, but uh, you should be able to get the gist of it. Um, other than that, we'll leave it to you guys. Talk soon. Cheers. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. Uh, today, I am very excited to have with us David Zipper. How are you doing today, David? Very good. Good to be with you. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, well, look, for, for the folks who, who don't know who you are, David, I thought probably what might be quite useful is for you to just do a bit of an introduction uh, about yourself and, and your background and how um, we are going to be talking or how you come to know about the things that we're going to be talking about today. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I appreciate you giving me the invitation to join the podcast. Uh, I guess I've taken a bit of an idiosyncratic path, like many folks <laughs> who I guess are involved in micromobility or in the future of transportation. Uh, but I started off really by focusing on on cities and being interested in how cities work, working in the Bloomberg administration in New York, and then leading economic development strategy for a couple mayors in Washington uh, before I, I got really, really interested in how uh, technology and startups were changing how cities function. And, uh, for, and from there, I, I, from, from the mayor's office in Washington, I went over to a, to a new startup hub called 1776 that perhaps some of your listeners might know about. Um, based in Washington, I was managing director of smart cities and mobility, working with hundreds of startups around the world, focusing on those sectors, as well as a variety of mayors and transportation executives, transit agency leaders, thinking about those topics. And uh, when I left 1776 a couple of years ago, I really wanted to, to keep going deep into the future of mobility and how uh, these issues of, 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 or just opportunities, I guess, around innovation and data and entrepreneurship are going to be changing how cities can function and walking that line between the public sector interests and, and private sector creativity. And uh, I've been a resident fellow at a think tank in Washington called the German Marshall Fund, focusing on uh, the future of urban mobility in American and European cities. 
and uh, I also write quite a bit um, about yes, these do. topics, urban mobility data and, <laughs> and, and mobility as a service. Yeah, it's been fun um, in Slate and The Atlantic and Newsweek and in, in, in uh, Fast Company. And that's um, what sort of led me toward uh, the, this issue of urban mobility data and eventually uh, the mobility data specification. And there's an interesting story of how I even learned about MDS, which I can share if you like. Oh, uh, I'd but, love but to. But I'll go back to you at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, well I, I can preface this yeah. as well, which is, so I had heard you on, on the Autonicast, actually, with uh, Ed and uh, Kirsten and, and Alex um, talking about MDS. Yeah. And, and which, for, which um, for people who want to get really deep into this, and so, I mean, you guys went very wonky on that, which was awesome. Um but the, mm-hmm. um, and then I went and read your, your articles and look, I've been trying to find someone explaining this MDS standard debate. Um, and I think you did such an excellent job and I'll link to the, the, the article that you wrote in Slate, um, in the, in the show notes for, for folks who were interested. Um, but this is something that like we've been following and has been kind of coming up, uh, over, over time, um, on the podcast, et cetera, as we've been talking, um, mm-hmm. And I just, for, for reasons I, I'd love to frame up, the, you know, MDS is is such an important stepping stone and building block for what these uh, what these future networks are going to look like um, as we think about building these right. cities. Um, so, look, it would be great if you could explain how you got interested in it, and then obviously what MDS is for the folks who don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just curious. You say it comes up a lot on the podcast. Do you think people, when it's mentioned, do people know what it is? I don't is think really so. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering. It's my own curiosity. Yeah. Uh, sure. So I'm happy to, to explain a little bit about how I learned about it. Um, it was actually at a, a sort of transportation conference, an unconference called Transportation Camp that was held in Washington, D.C. about uh, six months ago in January. I live in Washington, D.C. It's where I'm based. And uh, there was a really heated argument between a couple people, uh, both of whom are successful startup executives, about uh, one saying, ah, oh, cities have to have all kinds of data to make these kinds of decisions. And the other one said, no, you're just going to invade everyone's privacy. How can you do this? And it went back and forth. And some other people weighed in. And a lot of people looked confused. And I was wondering, what the hell is this about? So I, um, yeah, I, I just for my own edification and also just wondering if this was something that could turn it maybe into a, a story I wanted to write about. Um, I started talking with them and uh, and learned that what they were arguing about was this new data specification that was being developed in Los Angeles called the mobility data specification. And it, it was all it was already even though it was only like three months old at that point, hugely controversial. And it seems like this MDS has had uh, has sparked very strong feelings, passionate reactions for and against from almost everyone since it was first conceived of six months ago. Or sorry, excuse me, six months before that. So now I guess about a year ago is when it started being developed. Um, so if you like, should I give like the, I, there is the article in Slate that you mentioned that I spent a lot of time researching and, and reporting on. It's about a two, it's a long article, but if, if you like, I'm happy to give sort of like the, the quick explanation of, of of what led to MDS in L- in LA and what it is would that would Abs- that be helpful Absolutely that would be really useful for for the folks Sure and and I think you know to understand MDS you got to start with some context here that I can identify with personally because I was in the mayor's office in Washington when ride hail showed up in 2011 
when uh, Uber and, and at that time Halo and Lyft just scared the hell out of city officials and really frustrated them because uh, they, they just sort of ran roughshod over city regulations in the in the, the perspective of city officials themselves. And of course, they didn't share any data about what was happening uh, on city streets with their with their technologies. And cities were sort of running to catch up with with what ride hail was doing to congestion, to safety, to to taxis for that matter, without there being really good data. And there's still not good data for a lot of this stuff. So um, and so, you know, I saw that firsthand eight years ago, and so did Salita Reynolds, who at that time was a mid-level executive in San Francisco, thinking about and looking at regional transportation in the Bay Area, and and she got the job, a uh, very big job, about two two and a half years ago from Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles to come down and run the Los Angeles Department of Transportation (LADOT) that has oversight over mobility in LA. And at the time she said, I really wanna make sure that for future technologies, the city can be in a position of power of knowing what's happening on city streets when these new mobility companies show up. And there's gonna be more after Uber, maybe it'll be drones or AVs or who knows what, I need to understand it. And she started working with some people on that, uh, a guy named John Ellis, who is an important person in the story I won't get into right now. Uh, but, but then, you know, a year and a half ago, as your listeners are going to know, uh, scooters arrived and exploded in a way that people really didn't anticipate, starting in Santa Monica in September 2017. And at that time, this idea that LADOT was starting to develop around a, a data specification for, for mobility devices of whatever kind, and at the time they were thinking of drones and AVs, uh, then it went into overdrive because LA knew, LA leaders knew that the scooters were going to be controversial and that they, since they were already exploding in Santa Monica, they were going to come to LA. Uh, city councilors are going to want to know are, are the, what's going on with the scooters and control complaints they might get. And so uh, it's really starting about a year and a few months ago. Early 2018 is when LA DOT invested a lot of resources into creating the spec. Of which, and that's what MDS is, and it was all built on GitHub, mainly by officials from LADOT with some support from Santa Monica and some occasional webinars and phone calls with some of the, the, the representatives of, of companies like Lime and Bird, uh, Jump, so forth and so on. Um, and I can, again, I, I don't want to go on, on for too long. Um, no, I'm happy no, to give like the really sort of like dumbed down version of what MDS is, if you like, or maybe. Yeah, that would question. be, no, 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 that would be really useful. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a spec. And what it is, it's a way to ensure that this, that for micro mobility devices, meaning scooters and dockless uh, bike share, like, like a jump vehicle or something like that, that there's information flowing in relative close to real time from the devices to the city, and then also from the city to the companies that are managing those devices. So there's two APIs behind MDS. One is called Provider, and what Provider is, is it basically, it provides, it, cre it, it sends information on a, a number of different vectors, a number of different elements, such as like, how is the vehicle charged? Is it, is it, is it in motion? Is it unlocked? Um, and is it moving, actually? This is a big part, the, the telematics component. Like every 10 seconds, sending information about location of the vehicle, that's all provided to the city. And then on the other hand, there's another, uh, there's another API 
called uh, agency, which, as you might imagine, is information that flows from the city or the Department of Transportation to the company, not to the rider, but to the company saying, uh, you know, by saying in, with all kinds of information, saying this is how we understand where all of your vehicles are. If there's any discrepancy, let us know. Uh, it also could be used to provide information saying like you could like make sure that, that there's no one leaving a scooter within this polygon where there's going to be a parade later on or there's been a crime or an accident. So please don't have them go over here. It also could nudge companies to deploy scooters in, in one area versus another, for example, by sending information out saying, hey, if you redeploy your fleet toward this neighborhood, which is lower income, uh, which needs some more scooters, it will reduce your daily fee by X amount. All of that's possible with agency. And now I want to be clear about one other point, too, because this becomes important, is that the information that's provided from, uh, th from the, on provi on, through provider, which is information from the actual device going to the city, it has information about the individual device, but it does not have little, anyone's name, and it also doesn't even have a unique individual identifier. So supposedly, uh, there's, no way, sorry, there's no way that, uh, that, that, that one who has access to all this data coming in would be able to piece together, say, the five rides that John Doe took on Lyme in, uh, in, in the month of April. Supposedly, Now, that becomes a hugely controversial topic, which we can get into, but yeah. that's how MDS is, is structured. Absolutely. My understanding of the pushback from, because there's been a lot of pushback, if you, you kind of look at it, it's like bird, uh, lime, jump. Uh, the kind of the big ones that are really pushing back. Jump, I think, is probably the one that's most aggressively pushing well, back. Well, let me, let me pause there. Let me pause there. Yeah. They're not all equal. Um, in fact, I don't think lime is really pushing back against it. Uh, on the record, when I wrote the article in Slate, they were actually pretty supportive they? of okay. of MDS and yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, to jump, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but with the current preemption battles, where the state of California may end up uh, uh, limiting MDS or even killing it, it's Bird that's played a role with that, but not Lime. And the main antagonist here has been Uber. Lyft has sort of stayed quiet. Although I suspect they don't like MDS any more than Uber does, it's mainly Uber who's really been mounting a campaign against MDS because and you know because part of this is you know why like like Bird and, and Lime are getting a lot of benefit from MDS. Maybe that's worth mentioning real quick. Is yeah. before MDS, I mean it's it, like this is such a new technology with the scooters, the the shared scooters. It was just crazy the ways that cities were getting data or asking for data from these companies. It was city A might want it in an Excel format. City B want, like, asks for it in, in a PDF. City C has their own mechanism. Like it's, it was really confusing and time-consuming for the scooter companies to provide that information in all these different ways. So, and this is something that 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 um, a, a representative of Lime said to me on the record, and said it's actually hugely beneficial to have a standardized way of providing this information, not just to LA, but to many other cities. And I should mention, LA claims now that over 50 cities in the United States are using MDS to ca capture and collect information about how scooters are operating on their streets, and then use it to inform policy. Precisely. So, so the the companies, the cities that we've talked to, um, and and I say this obviously locally in New Zealand, all of our cities require MDS. Uh, they require the operators here to be MDS compliant. Um, so that has has sort of defaulted to being a bit of a global standard. Um, and a lot of the cities that we're talking to 
and, and other mm-hmm. places around the world are also doing that. Madrid, I think, is also doing MDS. Um, so this is, yep. mm-hmm. so that that's how it sort of, that's where the puck is skated towards. So I'm kind of curious, obviously, I hear you when it's when a lot of cities, uh, you know, for operators like Bird and, and Lime, they're like, hey, this is actually very useful, you know, to have a standardized right. system that we can see. And I, I'm assuming, are these, are, is this actually open? So can... Um, can Bird see where their li- where the Limes scooters are as well? Because it, in theory, right, an MDS should be public. Or does it only flow to the agency? No, it flows to the agency. And now there's a couple cities like Austin and Louisville, Kentucky, that have taken some data sets and made it public. But I've never heard of any city that's basically saying, hey, here is all the information about where every vehicle is in real time and we're going to make it public. I've never heard any city talk about doing that. Interesting. So, so the reason that I'm, I, I think a lot about this data standard is because my understanding was actually the precursor to the MDS was actually the GBFS. And the GBFS right. was the generalized bike share feed specification. And that was similar to the GTFS, which is the generalized um, transit feed specification. And GTFS, if you're going to go back kind of, quite far back that was originally developed by google as a standardized way to be able to ingest information about tra- public transit operations um for for all That's cities right. so that then they could integrate it into google maps and that ended up becoming the default standard so when you're looking in google maps you what you're seeing is actually a um an update from a gtfs feed that m- almost all public transit operators these days around the world will use um, and and that's, that's right. And if I could interject for just a, just for just a quick second, go for it. You know the GTFS it. initially was called Google Transit Feed Specification <laughs> <laughs> because it was developed. It literally, it was developed as you said by Google and TriMet, the Transit Authority in Portland, Oregon. Absolutely. And then as it started to expand everywhere, like maybe we don't want to have Google in the name. The very first article I ever wrote for public consumption was an article in City Lab in the Atlantic two years ago about GTFS's development, which is fascinating. And if you want to get deep into this data nerdery, uh, I would recommend uh, perhaps some people in the audience might be might be curious to find it. It's not hard. It's on City Lab's website. But yeah. sorry, go ahead, please. Well, absolutely. So the reason that I thought the GTFS was interesting and then the GBFS, I mean, we were, we were asking questions about GBFS last year and everyone sort of said, oh, look, GBFS. GBFS had originally been developed by Jump. Um, and, and Hmm. they had maintained the, they had owned and maintained the GitHub on GBFS and they were trying to push it out and make it a generalized standard. Um, and then that kind of got subsumed by, uh, MDS. Now, the reason it's all interesting is when we talk about operating systems for cities, you know, when Horace and I are talking about what is disruptive, what is disruptive um, about micromobility? Well, there's obviously the aspect of like the vehicles themselves are really cheap and they allow you to do sort of like a subserving, you know, they're not, they're not going to replace a car, but what you can have is this vehicle. It's like very good at a very short trip or in the case of, in the case of a scooter or in the case of a bike, it might be a better at a long, you know, medium sized trip. But what makes them really interesting is when you trip chain them, when you're able to say, I'm going to take a scooter to a bike, I'm going to take that bike and it's going to be on a shared system and I'm going to be able to kind of like plug all of these things in together. Or, for example, I'm going to hop off the end of my public transit trip 
And I know that there's going to be a scooter there and it's actually going to be integrated into my planning software that allows me to go, I can hop on this, I can know with certainty that I'm going to hop onto this bus and at the end of the bus is going to be a scooter. The scooter is already going to be reserved. I walk up to the scooter and I use it and it's already going to be put together. And in actual fact, all of the payment for that is going to be integrated, you know? And mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. example, you'd be mm -hmm. able to have a public transit agency, which at the moment oftentimes subsidizes trains or buses to some extent. Um, mm -hmm. And actually saying like, yes, but because we know that it induces a bunch of scooter, you know, scooter trips actually induce more public transit use, we're going to discount the use of the scooters as well. And so the, mm -hmm. what the kind of the connective tissue that makes all of that work and really supercharges micromobility and makes it even more disruptive is being able to have all these devices talk to each other. And to make that happen, you need an operating system that allows for all of these pieces to connect, which is why the data standard that's being developed is so important because what ends up being adopted will be, you know, like different cities I am, I'm imagining are probably going to develop different standards. But the fact that LA has been so preemptive on this and developed the standard that everybody's in theory going to be using. I mean, it's interesting to hear that there's the pushback from, 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 from Uber about this. Um, yep. Because yep. in my world, it's like, wait a second, you guys are multimodal routing systems where you're trying to encourage people to go and take bikes to certain places, then take uh, trains, etc. I mean, this is their sort of like declared, um, this is their declared position that that's where they want to move towards. And yet they're fighting the thing. So talk to me about why they're fighting it, because it strikes me as being really counterproductive. <laughs> like they, it sounds like the sort of thing that it'd be encouraging and wanting. You want to have a, a generalized data standard that everybody can plug into all over the world. Right. Well, I've got two big points to make about why I think Uber has a different vision from what you're outlining. And first of all is, I just want to, before we get MD, before we get to talk about MDS, I'll just say that I don't think Uber does want the vision you're describing exactly where you have every possible service connecting with any other possible service so that you can have that sort of a chained trip as you're describing. Because Uber wants to provide all those, those chained trips within its own app with its own services. And they, I think this is this is the where the you know the, the CEO of Uber has talked about being the Amazon of transportation in, in cities. That means you can get any form of transportation you want, from public transportation to an e-bike to an, a ride-hail vehicle to a scooter within the Uber app. So why ever leave the Uber app? That's that's they've been pretty clear with that that vision is, and they've taken a step towards it in Denver. Are you familiar with what's happening in Denver? I'm, with I'm the very well aware. It's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah. But but worth worth explaining for the for the audience. Yeah. Yeah, in Denver, as of two weeks ago or three weeks ago, you can now, it's the first city in the world like this, you can buy a transit ticket. Uh, so Uber is taking a step toward being its own mobility as a service, if you will, provider there. So I think Uber very much wants to be what I would consider to be a walled garden. I think Lyft wants to be the same thing. Um, and for reasons I won't get into, this is something else I wrote an article on Fast Company about. I think walled gardens are very dangerous for the, for the public interest in urban mobility and very dangerous for the emergence of micro-mobility because it means it's really hard to see all the, to create the best chains, to use the term you were just using. Um, so, that I'll, so that's one point I wanted to make. 
Um, and I'm about to explain why Uber is opposed to MDS in my view. But did you want to? Is that anything else on that or any thoughts? No, no. Let's let's dig into that one, and then well, at least I just want to get the understanding of like what the what the challenges are with MDS as a standard because it's it's like yeah. this is the first this is really the first one that we've we've kind of seen that's come up as a what a, what could be quote unquote an operating system. So I'm kind of curious from that perspective about what yeah, the that's right. Is. Right. So I'll tell you what Uber says, because I've talked to them um, many times about it. And what Uber says is we can't we, we, we can't provide this kind of of trip level data, individual trip level data that MDS requires because it's a privacy violation and it puts our riders at real risk in all kinds of different ways. Uh, because even if the, da- the the trip data doesn't specify this is David on this particular scooter, there's lots of, of, of anecdotes you can find online and that about how data can be easily de-anonymized. And with a few data points, it's not hard to figure out who exactly it is who is, is taking a particular trip. Uh, one critic of MDS used the, uh, the, the data, uh, data set made public by a, a city in the U.S., and this is, this is anonymized data and aggregated data, but still was able to chain together, or not chain, excuse me, able to identify a number of trips taken between a high school and a Planned Parenthood or abortion clinic, which is likely a, a clinic where abortions can, be, can take place, which in the U.S. is hugely controversial and dangerous and a potential invasion of privacy. So Uber slash jump points to this and says it could, there's huge risks to individuals uh, having their privacy be violated through a hack or a bad actor within city government who can de-anonymize, who can figure out who, who which people are which, or law enforcement is a huge risk as well, where like the nightmare scenario is that there's, for example, a, a gathering at, at a house where people are planning um, a protest against something that's happening and I live in Washington, this happens all the time. And then imagine the police department going to the transportation department saying, hey, uh, give us all the data about scooter trips that originated from this block where that house was at such and such a time so they can figure out who was taking part in that, in this case, constitutionally protected uh, freedom of, of assembly gathering. So that's the sort of thing that Uber says is super, super dangerous and they, that's why they can't support it. And to be fair, it's not just Uber. In America, there's a number of very well-regarded uh, privacy advocacy groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the Center for Democracy and Technology that have likewise said, this is a very dangerous thing to provide uh, individual trip-level data and collect it from these companies to, to and package it to a city. Uh, now, th- so that, that's, what th- that's why Uber and a few, some other entities uh, have been critical of it. Now, to be to be fair, many people uh, in this space think that Uber is, for lack of a better way of putting it, full of it. And that what Uber really cares about isn't privacy, because of course Uber got hacked um, and, and lost a lot of uh, information that way. Well, lost you can of, care uh, about private. Yeah. Fine that way. Yeah. I, I, not, yeah. To, not to defend my former employer, but you know, you can be hacked and yeah, still yeah. care about privacy. It's, it's, they're not mutually sure. exclusive, but yeah, I hear you. Of course. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I do think Uber cares about privacy, but I think the argument is, 
Well, look, I mean, why, why are we assuming data is safer in the private hands than in public is what defenders of MBS would say. Um, but what a lot of people think is that Uber is particularly concerned about what you just ta- alluded to, that MDS could become a standard not just for micromobility, but for other forms of mobility like ride hail, which is the bread and butter of the company. And they're very worried about how that could have a, an existential impact on, on, their, their, uh, on their stock price and on their future trajectory. That's something that they will never say on the record or even off the record in my experience. But there's many people that think that's what's driving the pushback. Do you know where the MDS, like where is MDS going to be going? Is it going to be able to facilitate payments as well? Is that the is that the end vision for it? I know, gosh, I think that would be further afield. Um, that's not something I hear people talking about now. Um, do I think it, it could end up going in that direction? Potentially, but I'll tell you right now, we should probably make reference to this in the podcast. MDS is, is under the gun. MDS may go down long before it has a chance to, uh, to, to do anything beyond what it already is doing. And by the way, it only launched in LA or, or the, the agency for uh, uh, API only went into, went into effect, I believe, two months ago. And already we've got this huge pushback at the state level in California that seems quite likely to sort of cut MDS off at the knees. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk through that and, and how that's playing out? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you, you, you've looked pretty closely at the, the slate piece. I mean, I made Uber even then on the record said, you know, we aren't sure whether Uber, whether MDS is compliant with state law. You know, it's not like they were sort of almost uh, teasing LA DOT to say, if you don't listen to us we'll, and, and change MDS, we're going to the state and preempt you, having the state law restrict what LA could do and other California cities as well. And lo and behold, that's exactly what's happened. There was a bill called AB 1112 that was introduced late last year, I believe, with what I'm told by many sources, it was Bird that was behind it initially. Uh, but it was initially a bill that didn't touch mobility data. It was really it was really about micromobility rules, like providing some standardization around indemnification and restricting cities and and how many how many uh, sort of what obligations they could impose on on micromobility providers. Some stuff that, frankly, I have some problems with, which we don't have to get into right now. But it. Is this the is this the, the the kind of the attempt to say like we're really pissed off that San Francisco only limited um you know limited the the providers to being you know there were only going to be two scooter providers and they could only provide to you know six hundred fifty scooters each is this the the sort of like well screw that let's go to the state and like re- remove get that removed and get cities removed from the ability to be able to limit um the number of vehicles that get deployed in a city that was how I understood what that what that um. That bill was I think there, I mean, I, I'm not sure that there was one city in particular that, that that triggered this. I mean, I've heard Sacramento was a pain in the ass with all the rules and fees they were imposing on scooter companies too. Um, so, I, but but I think there it's a clear sense that that um, that the micro mobility companies are looking for cities to be um, to, to 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 lay off a little bit with all the rules and fees that they're imposing. Uh, whether on equity provisions and taxes and so forth and so on, that's what motivated the bill. Uh, but but it does, but it's a little bit beside the point because what happened after just a few months is uh, is, is Uber sort of took over. <laughs> the bill went into committee and it came back out 
with, uh, with, with new language that basically said uh, no city can collect individual trip data, which is what made MDS really unique. So yeah. that set off all kinds of alarms. And, uh, but then it, it, the bill went in front of, of the, the full California Assembly and it passed 74 to one two months ago. So now it's over in the California Senate, which is considering it. And there's no vote yet. There's some other tweaks to the language as of a week ago. But, you know, L.A. and cities like like Santa Monica and I believe San Jose that are using MDS are trying to rally support to push against it. But it's hard to come back from a 74 to one beating in, in one house. So it seems, at least in my view, quite possible that this bill, quite likely that this bill will pass in a way that 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 takes that takes down MDS, at least in California. And if it works in California, I mean, we've seen Uber and Lyft do all kinds of preemption stuff in states like like Texas and, and, and elsewhere as well. I, I would imagine they could easily introduce similar legislation in other states, too, which further restricts the number of American cities, at least, that can use the specifications. Interesting. And do you think that that would be a case of them saying, um, say, for example, that happened in L.A.? For the other cities around the world that are at the moment using MDS, I mean, it strikes me as being, it might not be MDS per se, it sounds like MDS as, as but there's still, there's still actually utility in MDS for, hey, being able to understand where the vehicles are, being able to potentially add, build some functionality on top of it. It just sounds like there's an aspect of MDS in particular, which is the cities then collect all of that information. Because what you want in some ways, right, if I think about it from a perspective of, as someone who's wanting entrepreneurs to be able to have something here to build with, I want a generalized standard. I'm not super fussed about what the city does with that data or doesn't do with that data. I mean, in the sense of, I want cities to know enough that they can be able to do things like, hey, we can see that there's a lot of trips happening on this. We want to build infrastructure. The part that I kind of see, so say for example, California is to... Uh, effectively remove the ability of cities to be able to collect this data. Does that does that mean that MDS itself is dead, or do you think that there will be aspects of it that that can still be salvaged? Because yeah, it strikes me it strikes me that like there's still value in this. Yeah, I mean there's value in there being a generalized um, standard for reporting for cities around the world. You know. Well, I feel like America, though, I mean, do you disagree? I, in my view, America is the gorilla when it comes to micromobility deployments. That's where the most money is being made. It's where the most customers are. And it's where I would think Bird and Lime and other such companies are going to want to have a standard that works in the United States. Uh, and do, you, do you feel differently than that, that America is the, the dominant market for these, these products? No, no, absolutely. At the moment, it's the dominant market. So that's the part that's interesting, inter interesting to me. Because, I mean, Europe, is Europe. I think, is about to really get supercharged. We think that it's going to happen in the next sort of six months. So Germany's just in a, announced that it, they're going to allow scooters, for example. So a lot of the big scooter companies are going to be deploying in Germany. Um, German, like European cities are better, su better suited and better set up for, for micromobility, I think, in terms of adoption than uh, American cities in the sense that they already have a lot of the infrastructure. They already have a lot of other things, but they're not the ones necessarily who are pushing data standards. 
uh, is, is the way that we're seeing it. Um, they, there hasn't been any emergence of new data standards coming out of Europe about how this is going to work. Certainly none that I think are going to be the, you know, it would be the reflexive response to, um, you know, MDS, at least that I can see, unless you know of anything that I, that I haven't seen yet. Definitely not. But this is, I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with people in the last few weeks as AB 1112 has gathered steam and passed the California assembly by such a wide margin saying, well, how does this play out? What happens if LADOT sort of get it, gets its legs cut out from under, like I said before, and no one knows. Yeah. It's really crazy. Like one thing that, that well, I'll, you know, I'll give you a few possible scenarios. Uh, yeah. One is the cities say, screw it. We're going to just not, if we can't collect the data we need, we're not going to allow these devices. And that's the end of that. Uh, there are people who think that'll happen. I don't think that's viable because I think that micromobility has too many fans now and people don't care enough about the data to say, that, yeah, that's the right response. Just remove the entire service. I think cities are going to have to allow the service in some form or fashion, I think. Um, but another yeah. possibility is that is that SAE, which you know has the level one through five uh, designations for autonomous vehicles, they could uh, they, they actually just did announce with Jump and with Populous, the startup, and the city of Miami and Spin, an effort to uh, create a, uh, sort of classifications of micromobility as well as uh, data standard practices. Conceivably, that could become a standard, maybe. Yeah, Horace sits on that. Uh, Horace sits on that uh, that that panel. Um, though, yeah, well, I don't know how much he can reveal about what the the discussions about data standards at this stage. <laughs> we'll have there are to people ask I know that are on it who insist it's meant to be additive to MDS, not a replacement or a competitor. But I don't know. It sure seems like a competitor, uh, and I know a number of others see it that way too. Um, or maybe, I mean, you know, maybe there's a way of adjusting the spec and adjusting policies such that there can be sort of thoughtfully aggregated data that does allow cities to collect the, the, or address the kinds of policy questions that they want to, like, do we set up a bike lane here or there? Are, are, are um, you know, are, are, how do we want to think about, you know, routing people around particular construction sites or what have you, um, which, you know, could potentially be done in a group called Shared Streets is working on that. But the, one of the issues with that approach, though, was sort of thoughtfully aggregated data you alluded to earlier, which is that in that case, as soon as you get into any kind of aggregation at all, you're no longer moving toward a mobility as a service world, right? Because you don't have the information on every individual trip anymore. Yeah, completely, completely. Well, this is this is a really, fa I mean, it's an amazing, to, I, I imagine we're probably going to come back to this and look at this and um, you know, this interview in, in, in a year or two years time and go, oh yeah, that's, uh, this is how this all played out. Um, but it is, it's, it's so, it's such a timely, um, timely discussion. Um, and the way that you're breaking it down, I think is super useful. I mean, it's, as I was mentioning, it's been very challenging to find anybody who can explain this well. I did an interview with Regina from, uh, from Populous probably, uh, you know, six, uh, probably six months ago eight months ago, maybe. Um, and, and I was asking her about it then and she was like, look, this is what it means. And this is, but we still don't know quite how this is all going to play out. Um, the, the part that I think is just, it's so interesting from my perspective, as I look at this is that the political capital, um, 
with with micro mobility is so different to the to ride to ride hailing right which is with ride hailing a lot of you know uber and lyft really could they kind of came into a city and cities didn't really have much they could do about it they were kind of the ch- the challenge of enforcing against them was an incredibly expensive process you know it was an incredibly expensive and challenging thing to go out and arrest hundreds of or thousands of drivers and 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 <laughs> versus with micromobility, it's like, well, your scooters are on our streets, bro. And um, if you don't like it, we'll just come along and take these scooters. And, you know, that's what's happened in Detroit. So the political capital um, really sits a, a lot more with the cities in this regard. And that's why it's so interesting is because I think, you know, and Salida said this, you know, it's like the, the power sits with the cities in terms of how they regulate this stuff um, at this stage. And they can see how, they, how this can integrate into their cities um, and really, really be able to make it supercharged. Um, so it's, it's this, um, how, do, how, do, you know, how does this evolve in a way? Because ultimately, the vision that Horace and I have is you walk down the street and it shouldn't matter that that's a bird or a lime or a, you know, bolt scooter you should be able to unlock them with a sort of a generalized app they should all be able to talk to each other you should be able to have all of this as part of an integrated transit transport system um and and the question will be how do we get ourselves to that how do we build an internet of mobility in this rather than like a CompuServe and an aol and a you know all of these little um these gardens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no, i I, um, I totally agree i think that um <laughs> I think, well, I think there's two big issues there. You're sort of bringing together two of the topics that I think and write and sometimes tweet about the most. One is uh, the, uh, the, these sort of like data standards that can inform better urban policies, and, and, and which is what MDS was really originally designed to do, I would say. And the other, which is very, which is at least adjacent, if not even closer than that, which is mobility as a service and this idea of of creating an app or alignment that can bring all these various services together, which I think is really good. I think, you know, Finland has done really creative work, like it sounds like New Zealand has, but there's real challenges here because when you get people to be frank with you at Uber or Lyft, they don't want to do it. They want to be the platforms themselves. And they very clearly will fight against efforts like this to create that kind of vision you have of being able to walk down the street and unlock any sort of a a device you want, regardless of what company presents it. That's not what Uber and Lyft want. And if we decide as a society, I know you and I are in different societies, different countries, but still, um, if we decide that's what we really want to push for, we're going to have to have regulatory approaches to make it happen. I don't see any way in which the market. Yeah, that's a that's a really fair point. And I can say that the thing that strikes me as being uh, the, the thing that I can't get my head around is why you know, the way that cities have deployed or forced the deployment of the shared scooter model at the moment means that no walled garden is ever going to be able to, especially in the micromobility world, is ever going to be able to own all of the supply in a city. So, you know, Jump is about to deploy in Wellington and New Zealand. Um, They've only got 500 scooters. There's another scooter, there's another company that's also going to be operating. Like, um, the way that Horace talks about it is that this business model for, especially for shared micromobility ends up being franchised. It's not a, it's, it's not a, um, you know, one company is going to own every city around the world. There's going to be 20,000 cities in which this thing is deployed. What you'd want is you'd say, 
well, we know that there are going to be operators in all these places. We want them to be able to be surfaced and be able to um, plug into this sort of internet of mobility equivalent. And, and that, you know, Uber is able to see, for example, in some small town in Florida where they won't go and operate their own jump service, but they can see that there are scooters there, that that is also available through the, through the Uber app or something like that. This is the part that I just, I struggled to get my head around as to why they wouldn't be more um, behind a, a, a standard. Well, I can see that they're behind a standard. The question then becomes, it's like, well, what standard is it? And what is that going to look like? And is that, um, you know, does it make sense for everybody in that chain to be able to be part of that? So does it make sense for the operator to say, yeah, I'm going to give up some portion of my revenue in order to be able to get a customer from Uber or Lyft or whoever? It, it may well be Google. It may well be whoever's going to be training these trips together, right? Pulling from a, you know, someone hops off a bus and goes into the next thing. But that, that layer needs to be built out. And, and so it'll be very interesting to see how this, um, how this all comes together. Um, I really appreciate your time and the effort that you're putting into this space because you're doing a really very good job of helping educate the public on what is this and why does it matter? Why, you know, how, do, how does this connect to what the future is going to look like and, and supercharge this future that we don't need to have cars, um, but we can get the, the rides that we need when we need them, you know? Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. I feel like um, one thing about the MDS debate is that everybody who knows a lot about it seems to have a very strong position for or against. And I, that's part of why I invested a lot of time in, in understanding it and writing that piece for Slate and another piece later in the Atlantic is I just, I do think it's super important just like you do. And I'm trying to be relatively unbiased. I, I don't have any investments in, in companies that are living and dying by MDS one way or the other. Uh, but I, I really, I, I'm glad you're fo focused on this episode on it. And I, I encourage folks to follow along. I mean, for what it's worth, um, you know, I, 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 I do, I'm not very active on social media and whatnot, but I do tweet about this particular topic of urban mobility data and MDS whenever I can, when something new happens. So if yeah, you don't yeah. mind, I'll just invite people if they want to. No, no, please, yeah. Yeah, they can follow me at, at David Zipper. Um, and, uh, and you can see uh, the stuff that I come across and, and follow along with what's going to happen with AB 1112 and other such issues. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, David. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.